Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through these salutary gifts. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through them in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. This is the collect or the prayer that we most often pray after we have received Christ's body and blood. And we, Eucharisteo, we give thanks. And most likely we don't, we don't think much of it. Just another prayer. It means that service is almost done. But I want you to listen again to what you and I are praying for when we're praying these words. We implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through these salutary gifts in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Every group from the Roman pagans, to Buddhists, to the sons of Norway, all have their own ritual meals. It's just what groups do when they gather together. They have a meal they have made in recognition of themselves and their own achievements and what they have in common. You can't have the Super Bowl without the Super Bowl snacks. You can't have the Fourth of July without getting out the barbecue. You can't have a birthday without the cake. But in each of these ritual meals, the meal itself does not make you love more. It does not create in and of itself any sense of unity or bond. In fact, family dinners have become a trope of, uh, of disunity, where different people are, are brought together into uh, some sort of phony, concocted unity. And this is what the Corinthians were doing in our epistle lesson. When they came to celebrate the, the Supper of Christ, they structured the feast just like any other Roman meal, uh, with the rich celebrating uh, by their, themselves their unity as upright and wealthy citizens, rich in what they have. They, they all ate together. Of course, that meant the poor ate together too, although not really by choice. They, they were separated over here, and in fact, there might not have been anything left for them to eat. So Paul chastises them for this, and he says, it is not the Lord's Supper that you are eating. What Jesus institutes on Maundy Thursday is no ordinary meal. And we see this with how John uh, talks about this meal, how John talks about the Lord's Supper. Now, John's Gospel is interesting. He, he doesn't go linearly, he doesn't go chronologically, he goes thematically. In fact, John's Lord's Supper discourse is actually in his Feeding of the 5,000 account, uh, not here at the actual Passover meal. Um, but here at the last Passover, the last supper, the Passover meal, Jesus' last supper with his disciples, uh, John begins the chapter in verse 1 by saying this, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then John gives us, I think, one of the most beautiful lines in all of Scripture. Having loved his own, 
who are in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. But then immediately in verse 2, John skips over the supper and tells us this. Jesus proceeds to wash the disciples' feet. And afterwards, he gives them a mandate, a command. This is where the word mandi comes from. A new mandate, a new command I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. A few weeks ago in confirmation class, we were talking about Maundy Thursday and how it comes from the Latin word mandatum, uh, from where we get the word mandate. Usually I have to explain what a mandate is. Didn't have to this year. <laughs> but what Jesus is doing by washing the disciples' feet is he's connecting this meal to the Passover, and he's fulfilling it. In the Passover meal, which we read from Exodus 12 earlier, the Jews celebrated with the ritual washing of hands, not feet. And this was done by the servants. But Jesus comes along, and he washes feet. And in the Passover, the original Passover, there was no absolutely no eating of blood. The blood was to be drained out, the meat roasted over the fire, and in fact the blood was to be taken out and painted on the doorposts of the houses where they were so that the, so the God in his wrath would pass over the house and not kill the firstborn son inside of it. But Jesus comes along and he says, take drink, this is my blood. Christ is showing how complete his love is for us. The firstborn son is being killed, and it's Jesus. This is something we cannot do. It is an impossible mandate for us to love as Jesus did. Jesus, God, became a slave and washes feet. Tomorrow we'll see just how low Jesus stoops to save us, to the grave itself. The undying God dies as a man on the cross, shedding his blood for the world. This is the whole nature of the sacrament of the altar. It is entirely God to us. However, the vast majority of Christian churches today flip the Lord's Supper on its head, uh, just like the church in Corinth. And they make the meal into a thing that, that you can do to show your love and your piety towards God. It's all about you and your status as someone who is rich in your love for God. This is the reason why we, along with the whole church, for 2,000 years, practice closed communion. Only in the 20th century, right around the time of the individualistic countercultural movements, uh, did open communion even become a thing. And usually proponents of open communion will, will say that, and turn the sacrament around and, and make it into an individualistic thing, just me and God, rather than what it actually is, a communion, a communal thing God is doing. And in the past, as I've explained to people why they or their cousin couldn't commune, they usually get really defensive and they say, well, I or so-and-so, we grew up Lutheran, they're a good Christian. Never mind the fact that they go to some church that, that utterly disregards the body of Christ. I deserve communion. Friend, if you deserve communion, that's exactly when you eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, not to your blessing, 
but to your damnation. If you think your own Savior, as we sang in the hymn, you have no part with Jesus. This is what Peter was doing after the meal. It's the attitude of Peter when he wants to wash Jesus' feet. Peter says, Jesus, I'm going to wash your feet. Watch the good I'm going to do for you. And Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. The Lord's Supper is not a meal to show your love for God. We cannot love as Christ has loved us. No, the Lord's Supper is so much better than that, so much more gracious than that, so much more loving than that. This is not a meal of my love or your love. It's a meal of Christ's love. He loved those who were in the world He loved us. He loved us to the end. Christ shed his blood for us who were in the world and actually gives it to us to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of all our sins, for the strengthening of our faith and for increasing our love for one another. The same body and blood that that goes into you goes into me. And this is real unity. By partaking of Christ's body and blood, you are united not just with those around you at the altar who may be different from you, who you may not always see eye to eye with, whom sometimes you honestly maybe would rather not drink out of the same cup with. But you are joined with the saints and all the hosts of heaven. You could not be closer to someone even if you tried. This is why I counsel couples who are struggling uh, with marital problems uh, to first and foremost take the Lord's Supper together. It's why those who are grieving the loss of a loved one after they die in the faith uh, could do nothing better than to take the Lord's body and blood. It's why those in the hospital are encouraged to call their pastor, to call me, and ask for the Lord's Supper, COVID or not. Through Christ, you are being united with all the saints before you and all the saints after you. You are receiving real strength and real life. Think about this. COVID's, I know, got us all more preoccupied about about the germs from our brothers and sisters, even at communion, that are probably not even in the cup. But this, this is the antidote to death. Maybe not physical death, you, you still might get sick. But this is the antidote to eternal death. This is a much greater thing than any other medicine could offer or promise. We are a family that comes together to feast on the most important meal from God each and every week. Holy Communion unites us. We're no longer a bunch of individuals You and I are now bound. We are together a new people, a royal priesthood, a people chosen by God, a living body, holy and precious in God's sight. And we who dine with Him are now filled up by Him to be servants and love one another, to love our neighbor and to stoop down for them just as Jesus does for us and to help them. Through these salutary gifts, you who are weary and burdened, You who are a bruised reed, you who are a smoldering wick, you who recognize your sin, 
your unworthiness, you who desire to do better, through these you are refreshed. And so when we leave this table, it's no longer about what I'm going to do for God because God has done everything already for me and given it to me in the Lord's Supper. And so when we leave this table, it's now about what God is going to do through me. Martin Luther described the entire divine service this way. He used the illustration as a man coming with an empty sack. Not a man who's got it all together uh, and is coming to God to collect his dues, what he deserves from God, but a beggar looking for bread. And he receives from God throughout the service. In the invocation, the name of God, the very name that we receive in baptism, is placed upon us. And we say, Amen. It's in the bag. We confess our sins to, to God and, and to one another, and the pastor, in the stead and by the command of Christ, forgives you your sins. And you have forgiveness. And you place it in the bag, and you say, Amen. It's in the bag. In the sermon, you, you hear the powerful words of God, and, and the sermon is again replete with the forgiveness of sins. And you again say at the end of the sermon, Amen. It's in the bag. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus himself invites you to take, eat. This is my body. Take, drink. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And we receive the Lord's Supper up here afterwards with a hearty amen. It's in the bag. And so we leave this table no longer beggars with an empty sack, but with a loaded bag, a loaded sack over our shoulders, and we go out. And again, we find ourselves in need of, of the very thing our Lord has given us. My spouse sins against me and I sin against my spouse. What do we do? We open our sack. Here. I have forgiveness from God. I have a sack full of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Take it. In the name of Jesus, take it. Our children sin against us. Our, our spouse uh, or our, fr our co-workers frustrate us. Our neighbors drive us up a wall. Our fellow church members even make us angry and we respond with what? I have a sack full of forgiveness. Take it. It's yours. We encounter a person in need. Friend, I receive from God God's own love. Please receive it. Please receive the Lord's love from me. Every Sunday, God calls us back to His gracious word of promise and presence refill our bag and send us out again and again. And through his mercy, God strengthens us through Christ's own body and blood in faith toward him and in fervent love toward one another. In Jesus' name, amen.